0: Welcome to the Saturday Blitz Podcast with your tailgater crew, John Mitchell and Zach Begolke. Welcome to this week's Saturday Blitz Podcast, everybody. I'm Zach Begolke, here as always with John Mitchell. We are in the middle of November in a weird, weird 2020 season. and We figured what better way to uh, honor the weird 2020 season than looking back at how this whole season might have played out in the BCS era. So we're going to do that in the first segment, and then, as always, we're going to go into our picks against the spread in our second segment. But before we do any of that, life is crazy right now, John. So I just have to ask quickly, how are you doing?
1: Uh, You know, doing about as well as can reasonably expected, I suppose, with everything we're facing uh, currently, but... (laughs) you know, trying to stay positive, trying to uh, keep that kind of frame of mind because, you know, most of it's out of our control. So just got to do what we can do to feel okay about everything and stay as safe as possible. You know, I think a lot of people are getting COVID fatigue, as they say, because, you know, there's none of us out there who aren't tired of being in the middle of a pandemic. You know, we're all sick of it. Uh, but, you know, it's a real trying time. It's time now to stay as vigilant as possible with this, you know, Zach, because I mean, it's scary times out there. Cases are peaking all over the country and people are acting like, you know, there's nothing to be concerned about.
0: Oh, exactly. I mean, you just watch the end of that Clemson Notre Dame game and certainly in any college football season, you'd normally think that's exactly what you'd expect storming the field, just going crazy. That's college football. And, you know, I'm going to, I I think it might be live at Saturday Blitz by the time this podcast goes live, but, you know, I'm writing about just, do we even get to the end of a season? We're starting to see more prominent games canceled. You know, Wisconsin had to cancel two in a row. We're starting to see SEC games get canceled with no hope of being able to reschedule those as well with everything that's had to be postponed already. You know, things are kind of stacking up against the wall at this point, And it really does require a level of vigilance that, you know, you'd hope that this, you know, broader community of college football fans would be able to find for one another at least, you know, if nothing else, to make sure that we get to have college football. But we were saying this back in March is that, you know, coaches and prominent figures should be coming out and saying this and, you know, it took way too long and and here we are now. So let's think back to a time when, you know, the only pandemic that people were having to deal with was, you know, the computer viruses of the Bowl Championship Series. And before we go into what this year might have looked like, you know, with the formula that was in place throughout that 16-year period, I just want to throw a couple questions at you first, Sean. First of all, why do you think people were so opposed to the BCS? Do you think it was the formula itself? And honestly, I mean, the formula changed over times. But after, you know, 05, it pretty much stayed steady for the last eight years. You could predict it out before they actually released it. Do you think it was the fact that computers were included? Do you think it's just the fact that two only two teams played for the title? Why? Why do you think? You know, why do you think books were published like "Death to the BCS" by Dan Wetzel and other you know just diatribes put out there online and into you know the radio sphere and everything else?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it was a combination of several factors. I think we've learned. <clears throat> particularly in recent times that people just don't care for math, you know, they don't care to um, listen to what um, math might say in a sense, if, if you will. Uh, But I I think also, I think the two teams things always irritated people. I think everybody for a while wanted an expansion on that. Uh, at least to four, if not to eight, to 16, to all the way to 64, as in some people's kind of opinions on that. I know you fall more into that potential camp than than I do, but, um, you know, I I think that there was also some just weirder occurrences that took place during the BCS era that people just couldn't understand because we have this, you know, um habit of just using the eye test and the eye test will tell you particularly if you've got a head-to-head matchup well obviously this team deserves to be ahead of this team but that doesn't always mean that because you know what the computers are able to do and you know you and i both follow bill Connolly from espn quite a bit and his sb plus rankings and stuff like that the computer rips away any natural biases that you could potentially have you know no matter as um as bipartisan as we try to be when it comes to, to college football, it's hard not to let your own personal biases of, the, of what you've seen play into your opinions. And I mean, that's just a natural human function. Everybody, um, everybody does it. So what the computers do is rip that away. You know, there's no, well, i I saw this team dominate this team with my own eyes. I know that they're better or whatever. It rips all that away. And I think people just really didn't understand it for the most part, Zach. I don't think it made a lot of sense to people. This was kind of, you know, right before analytics in all across sports really took off. You know, we had seen sabermetrics in baseball with Moneyball with the Oakland Athletics, but not a lot of people had really gone headfirst into that. You know, if you go back and read stuff from 10 years ago, about college football, you'd see very few advanced stats being used by most national writers in that regard. So I think that it was prior to a time that people wouldn't understand it or or, just didn't see it as much, I guess. So it wouldn't surprise me, honestly, with how analytics have kind of started to dominate every sport from the professional level to the collegiate level. Uh, And I'm sure in some cases, even the high school level, maybe in some of the bigger Texas high schools and stuff, you got to figure. I wouldn't be surprised if eventually we go back to some sort of model like the BCS to then select the top four teams. Because I know you're going to talk about what this BCS standings would look like. And honestly, it's hard to find fault when you, you sent it to me um, earlier in the week. And it was kind of hard to look at that and find any fault in that ranking system, because it all made a lot of sense, even comparatively to what you would think I test wise.
0: Yeah, certainly, you know, And I think that's what we saw, we've seen even throughout the first six years of the college football playoff. If you were to put something together like this and have that selecting the teams, you know, the four teams that went in rather than two, you really wouldn't get different results. You might see, you know, a two and a three seed flipped, I think, once or twice. But other than that, you don't you know, the same four teams make it in, and you pretty much get the same matchups as well. So, you know, on one hand, you could say the college football playoff selection committee is getting it right. You could say, you know, why don't we at least have this system that's transparent that's obviously spitting out the same thing in the end? There's a lot of different ways you could look at it, but You know, the other big question I want to ask before we get into this season itself is now that we are essentially seven seasons removed from the last BCS championship game. Have your feelings changed at all since then about the BCS, either positive or negative?
1: Yeah, honestly, I feel better about the BCS than I probably ever have. And I was never um, an advocate against the BCS too harshly. I mean, we had our plenty of conversations about tweaks and stuff like that, that could be made to the system to make it a little better. Um, but no, I I'd be all for some kind of system like that to take place again, instead of a committee or maybe a committee oversees that, but they stick with the data and take what it gives them at the end of the day. So, you know, and I think there were some oddities with the BCS systems or at least things that people um, didn't like, you know, obviously a lot of people point to 2011 Alabama and LSU getting the rematch for the national championship game because the computers came out with Alabama as being a better team than Oklahoma state. Um, But I think it really, honestly, Zach, to me, the first thing that comes to mind is the 2003 season where, Uh, LSU and Oklahoma played for the national title in 2003. And everybody, you know, LSU beats Oklahoma. USC wins the Rose Bowl, I believe it was, I'm sure. And, you know, there's a split national title that season. And I believe that's the same year Oklahoma lost um, in the Big 12 championship game. Is that correct? And still made the national title game against LSU, if I remember right, losing to Kansas State or something like that. I know they had a very late loss and survived it.
0: I think you might be right about that. It's obviously, you know, the, you know, distance of time. But I'm pretty sure that that is right. Let's look it up quick because I'm really curious about that. I'm I'm pretty sure that was the one that Oklahoma lost. Uh, Yeah, 35-7. It was Oklahoma. Well, and we've seen that several times. I mean, a similar thing happened with Nebraska getting in against Miami a couple of years earlier when Colorado beat them in the Big 12 championship game. But both Colorado and Oregon got relegated to the Fiesta Bowl. So it's... You know, I think some of those matchups, and and I think honestly, we look at a lot of those matchups, and that was in the early years when that formula seemed to be getting tweaked every year. Um, You know, once you get past 05, you have those last, you know, seven years where team, and I think part of this that as well as that back half those last seven, eight years, you also had more opportunities for BCS busters. Uh, you know, Oklahoma kind of cracks, or Oklahoma, excuse me. You know, you had Utah crack the nut there in in 2004 when they went to the Fiesta Bowl and just absolutely throttled and overmatched Big E's champion pit team. But then... You know, after that and the antitrust stuff and everything that goes to Congress, you have more lenient rules come out where it goes from being a top six thing for non-AQ teams to a top 12 situation. And I think, you know, honestly, if you wed what you have now with the Group of Five, having opportunities, and as we'll see in a second, you know, Group of Five and otherwise non-Power Five teams could have real opportunities in a BCS-style system. But if you at least, you know, you put in the top group of five champion, get or, you know, the top-ranked group of five champion gets into automatically one of the, you know, New Year's Six Bulls still, I think it, it works out otherwise. It I just like something transparent I think that's why I've always been so fascinated with the BCS that's why I'm writing a book that's essentially about the BCS and and looking at how small schools navigated that system and you know I think that's why I'm really interested right now because you look at how things played out through like the 07 season just the season of chaos and you know, there are parallels here. We've never seen anything quite like this where it's just fluctuating across the board and new teams coming in here and there. But let's look at what the BCS would have done in 2020. As you mentioned, you know, we'd still have the same top two if it was a two-team system. Alabama and Notre Dame would be playing each other in a two-team BCS system just like they're matched up in both of the human polls, and if you had a four-team system, you'd still have Alabama playing Clemson. You'd have Notre Dame playing Ohio State. Nothing there would change. So, you know, in general, I think you're right. If we were to have this in place right now, people would have few arguments.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I think it's fairer even to <clears throat> group of five teams, or at least you know the non Power Five schools. Um, then you would really think that it would be your people, even the human polls might give them. So, you know, Cincinnati and BYU are both, uh, you might have it pulled up, but in the top 10, I know five and six or six and seven or something like that um, in this. Um, And that, you know, really passes the smell test too for anybody who's actually watched those two teams play this year.
0: Yeah, exactly. You know, and I'm glad you went there because it's it's definitely something I wanted to talk about. And before we get any deeper, I have to make the caveat. Obviously, we can't completely replicate the old BCS system. Uh, The Harris pole no longer is in operation. But essentially, we're using the AP Top 25 as a replacement there. This was the system that was used until after 2004 when... The media outlet withdrew rights to use their rankings, and the Harris Poll came into existence in the first place. So we're using the AP Top 25 there. And then also, two of the six BCS computers currently aren't reporting data. They always reported a little bit later in the season. So we're going with uh, just the four that are, because the way the BCS used to work is they drop your top and low computer score anyway, so only four computers were calc- would calculate. We're just using all four right now, so it's not completely accurate by those BCS standards, but it's the closest you can get this time of year. That said, the, you know, Cincinnati is five right now. BYU is number six, and it really comes down to the fact that the computers are high on both of those teams. Uh... And, you know, the BCS would have them ahead of both Florida and Texas A&M, who I've jumped ahead of them in both human polls. So I especially want to go into the computers for a moment, and I want to look specifically at the Collie matrix. Wes Collie has been putting this out, you know, he was one of the original BCS computers, if I'm not mistaken, or his formula was. Um, But this computer, since it came online as an official BCS computer, has also been recognized itself as an official NCAA selector. So we talk about that mythical national championship and who can claim what, but this was the computer that put UCF number one in 2017. That's the whole reason the Knights were able to claim their national championship, because it's officially recognized by the NCAA that computer currently has Cincinnati number one and BYU number two right behind them. And if you look down that list, that computer has been really favorable toward a lot of different uh, non-Power 5 teams. Coastal Carolina is at number four. Marshall is at number five. Uh, Alabama is at number three in that one. But, you know, they've been really kind to non-Power 5 teams. Louisiana's at 6. So, yeah, that's been really beneficial to them. Obviously, the whole thing about having these different computers is basically the programmer, the, you know, statistician, the economist, whatever, you know, one of these guys puts together the algorithm itself. They put together how it's going to calculate And then they let the thing calculate. So, you know, when we say that, you know, subjectivity is baked out of the system, let's not go that far. Because it all comes down to what decisions and and what stats and what other things that programmer decides to privilege. The whole reason you have six computers and you drop the highest and lowest score is that you kind of, you know, you level out those biases. And so, you know, keeping that in mind, a Cincinnati and a BYU would probably fall a bit. But, you know, the lowest ranking that Cincinnati has is number 17 in Kenneth Massey's computer. And Ohio State is ranked 17th in the Collie Matrix. So that would be one that would be dropped off of both of theirs still ranked really high in the rest of them, you know, Cincinnati also has a top five in the Billingsley rankings. And, you know, likewise, BYU is, you know, a top six team in both the Sagarin and the Billingsley. So all of these teams would have a real chance to play their way in, especially because you have to consider you know, Notre Dame and Clemson, one of those two teams is going to beat up on one another again. And if Notre Dame were to win a second time, Clemson certainly wouldn't get a nod to as a two-loss team, given what else is out there. I like those odds. Like, honestly, I like the odds of being able to play in because... I I think a college football playoff selection committee, if they were up against something similar like this, would find their ways to retroactively justify what they want to do with those anyway. They would find a way to justify putting in, you know, for instance, a one-loss Texas A&M team. Or if Indiana comes in... You know, if Indiana somehow surprises Ohio State and makes their way in, they're just in. But, you know, I, I think they'd find ways to jury-rig things in. I I don't think you can so much with a BCS system. And that's the beauty of the computers is they bake some of that out of it. So I, I like that idea but i think what's interesting about the computers as well like 40 total teams are ranked in the top 25 of these four different computers we're looking at only 11 teams are ranked by all four computers and both cincinnati and byu are among those so they would they would certainly be in favorable position um but the human polls you know 38 teams t- 38 teams received at least one vote in the AP top 25. 45 teams received at least one vote in the coaches poll. So when you think about it on that level as well, you get a fairly good cross-range, you know, of of teams that get points here and there. And I think that's kind of the leveling factor I love about this. And that's why I continue going back and calculating it year after year, even if uh, honestly, that's like the way that balances out is one of the most interesting things about this season to me and how it would play out in a BCS system.
1: Yeah. I think it's interesting as weird as this season is that, you know, more or less it's pretty much panning out on the BCS system. Like we would think it would. So We'll see if that continues, you know, cancel games and stuff like that coming up. Um, We'll see what ends up happening there. But, yeah, I I, I like the BCS. I miss the BCS. I hope that eventually it's factored back in or something like it is factored back in to this.
0: Yeah, you know, I just want something that, you know, you can go and look at, each of these individual computers, and you can cross-check it yourself. You can build your... You know what? If you hit me up on Twitter, anybody listening out there, I will happily send you a, a spreadsheet that already has all the formulas set up in it. So all you'd have to do is plug in what the rankings are each week, and you you are totally welcome to have, have a copy of this. I, you know, it's not something... You, it's, it, it's probably something you can find out there in cyberspace as well. But if it's the kind of thing that interests you, i happy to offer it up. But, you know, with that said, I, I'm kind of a nut about the BCS. And, you know, if, you, if you've if you been following me for a while now, you probably know that, as John most certainly does. Absolutely. Well, on that note, let's take a quick break here, John. We'll be right back with you all, everybody. So stretch out those legs, get a drink, use the restroom, go let the dog outside, do whatever you need to do. We'll be right back. Welcome back from the break to the Saturday Blitz podcast, everybody. We just finished up giving our elegy to the BCS system, if you will, looking at how it might, you know, have set up the 2020 system and this home stretch here as we're coming in and who it might have offered opportunities to. But with that said, we actually still have games that are being played and That's despite the number of games that continue to be postponed and or at this point canceled more often than not around the country. But we still have five good ones that we decided to pick this week against the spread. So let's dive right into these five games, Sean, because I think they're all really interesting ones. We actually decided to look at all of them in prime time and late night on Saturday as well, I'm just realizing. So... It, you know, it gives everybody even more time to go get in those last-minute degenerate bets, right? It, 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 it's what we do. So, you know, the 7 o'clock game on Saturday, or one of the 7 o'clock games on Saturday, is our probably the biggest group of five game of the week. It It's effectively an elimination game in the American Athletic Conference. We have SMU at 7-1 going... You know, over to Oklahoma, heading north to Tulsa to play the Golden Hurricane, who are currently 3-1 and overall, but 3-0 and in conference play, with, you know, their only loss coming against an Oklahoma State team that's still kind of leading the pack in the Big 12 at the moment. So, you know, we've got a lot of interesting storylines in this game, but I, I'm just curious... Who, who do you think has the advantage here, especially because as the lines go, you know, SMU is a two and a half point favorite at the time that we're looking at this. And, you know, you figure a three point home advantage. We're effectively getting a toss up here. So,
1: yeah, I, this is definitely an interesting game between these two programs. And, you know, first off too, it's pretty weird. I got to say on the weekend of, Alabama LSU that that's not one of our five picks uh just because it's a like four touchdown spread which is just remarkable for that rivalry even with Alabama having dominated it prior to last year they were typically pretty close games so I I find that very odd I think that's why the slate looks like it does we were talking about that earlier it didn't look like that great of a slate and I think that's a big reason why because the schedule is kind of built around that game being the game you know and and it's not. It's it's one that'll be barely watched and cared about. So but anyway, back to SMU Tulsa. I just thought that was interesting. We were getting into that. So um, you know, I, I really like Tulsa in this game. They get whatever home field advantage you can have in 2020. It's not much of one I know, but still <laughs> a little bit. I think defensively, Tulsa is really good. Uh, you know, they've got one loss on the season that was a nine point loss to Oklahoma State in the season opener where they only gave up. 16 points against the Cowboys offense that we've seen can be quite explosive, a lot of talent on that <clears throat> offense. Um, so, and, and we've seen SMU look really good offensively. Shane Bouchelle is one of the best quarterbacks in the country. They put up a lot of points on everybody except Cincinnati and Cincinnati, I think is better defensively than Tulsa, but I think that this is the second best defense the um, Mustangs have seen all season long. And I think uh, Tulsa will get will get several stops in key situations. They'll be able to run the ball effectively. And I think Tulsa wins this game, Zach. I think it's a little lower scoring um, than a lot of people probably expect. But I think Tulsa wins
0: 24-20. 24-20, and you've got them covering the spread. I I totally have to disagree with you here, John. Not only has Shane Bouchelle been – You know, as dynamic a quarterback as we've seen him play there at SMU last season, he's currently leading the country in total passing yards. He's, you know, top 10 in both yards per game and passing touchdowns. But you also have, you know, Ulysses Bentley, who's there in the backfield, fifth nationally with 10 rushing touchdowns. It's not just a passing team. And you look at Tulsa, and you know they've. It, it's been an interesting season for the Golden Hurricane. Let's just acknowledge that first of all. Their game against Cincinnati, which would probably be an, a conference loss on their record, let let's be honest. Given the SMU's only losses come against Cincinnati, Tulsa is ahead of them in conference play, largely because they haven't played Cincinnati yet. That said, they play them on December fifth. But they've also had games against Arkansas State and Navy postponed. The Arkansas State game probably at this point is going to be canceled. That you know, it's a non-conference game. As much as you'd like to be able to play it, there's really no reason, especially if they are in the AAC hunt. But, you know, out of the games they've played, we're focusing a lot on that Oklahoma State game. But It's been an up and down year for them that, you know, they took down UCF and South Florida on the road there in Orlando and Tampa, respectively. But they also barely held off East Carolina at home. They allowed 30 points to the Pirates there in Tulsa. So honestly, I think the Golden Hurricane, they just don't have the horses to keep up with SMU because they can hit them in a lot of different ways. So I have SMU beating that spread. I have them winning outright 38 28.
1: Yeah, fair enough. I, you know, I, I don't want to underestimate East Carolina. I think they've made some major strides uh, this season. They've been pretty competitive. But yeah, I mean, I, I think it'll be a very interesting game. I'm glad we're disagreeing right off the bat. It,
0: it, It's good to see that happening. Maybe it'll work out well for the rest of these, right? And uh, somebody can choose one slate or the other to bet. But, uh, you know, honestly, lucky me, the next couple games that are the most interesting are teams that, you know, have personal interest to me uh, in in the next two games we'll be picking. Let's start with the other 7 o'clock game we're looking at. These are obviously 7 o'clock Eastern, everybody. Uh, because that's how TV listings work. Uh, and now that I'm on the East Coast, I don't feel so bad about it. It always annoyed me as a kid. That, that, that little aside, aside, let's move on to Oregon and Washington State. Because both of these teams are now sitting atop the Pac-12 North at 1-0. And Oregon comes to Pullman as an 8.5 point favorite. Is Wazoo getting too little respect here? Is Oregon getting, you know, a deserved amount of respect? What do you think about that spread, John?
1: You know, I I think it's probably right about where it should be uh, based on what we think we know about these two teams. Obviously, it's hard to draw major conclusions from the first week, first game for both of these programs. But, you know, Oregon looks you know, a lot like we expected the Ducks to look, you know, they had a relatively easy time against Stanford. CJ Verdell looked just as dynamic as we, you know, figured he was going to look and, you know, Tyler show had an up and down game, but his first start. So you got to, he definitely showed some promise. Um, seemed like he had some pretty good arm talent and, you know, played relatively well, I think for his first start, Um, against a quality team, I think in Stanford. So I think, It's interesting, too, because this Washington State team looks a lot different with Nick Rolovich than what we had gotten used to with Mike Leach. You know, they had a single running back have 18 carries in in their uh, opening week win against Oregon State, which has been unheard of in Pullman for years. Uh, And Deion McIntosh looked really dynamic for the Cougars in that game. He had over 100 yards rushing. He was very productive in the carries that he got. And, you know, I think Nick Rolovich is a good coach, and I think he's going to have the Cougars still competitive in a post-Leach world, um, but I I think the Ducks are just too talented. Honestly, they're I think they have a massive advantage in, on both lines of scrimmage, and I think that'll show. Uh, and, and I and I think speaking of show, I think Tyler Show will have an even better game this week. And I think the Ducks start really separating themselves from the pack as the class of the Pac-12. So I I, I like Oregon here, Zach, to cover. Um, I like them uh, forty-one to thirty.
0: I so hope you're right, John, and the skeptic in me thinks you're going to be so, so wrong about this. And, you know, you were right about the Ducks. You know, they had four different, you know, players rush for touchdowns in the win. Verdell looked great. Travis Dye had six carries for 78 yards and a touchdown. Show when, you know, 17 of 26, 227, he had a touchdown and an interception, but he also ran you know, 11 times for 85 yards and a score. What has me worried about Oregon is the defense that gave up 413 yards to Stanford. You know, they they really bent, but didn't break. They did hold the Cardinal, the four field goal attempts, all of which were missed by Jet Toner. I think if they hit on those, it it you know it makes the game int- more interesting at different points in it in a way that it, Oregon can't afford to be that lackadaisical on defense against Washington State, especially because the Cougars have finally discovered a, a running game. They had 229 rushing yards as a team. It, if Oregon gives up anywhere near that against them, they're going to have a very hard time at least covering that spread. Now, that said, Washington State is also a very bend-but-don't-break-off defense. So I think this is going to be a track meet. And I think it's going to end up being way closer than I'd personally be comfortable about. But I think Oregon wins it like 44 42 or 45 42, somewhere right in there.
1: Yeah, I I think Oregon's defense overall is going to be okay. I think we saw, we've seen across the country defenses early on really struggling to catch up uh, with offenses just because of all the time off that's really come in. And, you know, that might not help. Matters in the second game of the year for Oregon because I could still be facing those problems. But I think long term, at least defensively, the Ducks are going to end up being one of the better defenses in the country once again.
0: Like I said, I so hope you're right and that I'm wrong with my pick. But either way, we'd have Oregon winning. So, but yeah, a 44 42 win is not going to look good right as we're coming toward the college football playoff selection committee announcing their first set of rankings. But let's shift gears to a different team that's always been on my radar. The Wisconsin Badgers. You know, born in Wisconsin, love this team. If you listen to the podcast, you know well enough. But they head to the big house in Ann Arbor as a two and a half point favorite against a Michigan team that's now sitting in free fall at one and two after losses against Michigan State and Indiana. Obviously, we don't know how the, you know, speaking of defenses that have had some time off, the Badgers have, you know, lost their past two games uh, due to COVID-19, those games against Nebraska and Purdue. So, we haven't seen them play since their season opening victory against Illinois. And, you know, Michigan has played both those games and they've had that long hard ball do you think it's fair to put you know to only have Wisconsin favored by two and a half points in this game what do you think is going to happen here in at Michigan
1: you know I think it a large part of that is whether Graham Mertz is able to play in this game I don't think as of least our recording it's been known for sure if he'll be cleared to play against Michigan because I think if Mertz is able to play based on what we've seen both for Michigan secondary so far this season and what we saw for Mertz and his one start to open the year. I think he would torch the Wolverines. I think he would have a, ma- a huge day passing and I don't think Michigan's offense will be able to keep pace. I think this Wolverines team is bad, Zach. I think it was, they were massively overrated after that win over Minnesota, which, you know, suddenly looks a lot less impressive after we saw what Minnesota's, look like in the games after that. You know, we were expecting the Gophers to be a legit Big Ten contender. And, you know, obviously they're not that this year. But neither is Michigan. You know, that that loss to Michigan State looks worse and worse after we saw how easily Iowa dispatched the Spartans this past weekend. So I I am going to operate under the assumption that Graham Mertz plays. I'm not sure it matters in terms of who wins this game, if he plays or not, because I think the Badgers are just that much better of a football team. Uh, than them if Mertz plays Zach I see something like 38 to 14 Badgers just running away with it if he doesn't play I'd see something more like 24 10 Wisconsin so either way I I think the Badgers cover the spread one by a couple touchdowns regardless
0: yeah I had this one 31 13 Wisconsin Uh, if Mertz does play, and I think it's more like a 17-13 game, but I think the defense isn't going to give up more than a touchdown and two field goals against the Wolverines. Uh, you know, they looked great against Illinois, and... You know, Michigan, the running game is still a mess. The team is really depending way too much on Joe Milton to be what Graham Mertz was in that first game for Wisconsin. You know, they got hyped up because of what he did against Minnesota, but it's not looking nearly as impressive in retrospect. But either way, I think, you know, at two and a half points – Wisconsin has way enough juice to cover that's lowest spread. And frankly, you know, I think you're absolutely right about uncertainty playing into that because I think if you have an announcement that Mertz is playing like that, that spread is going to fall. So if you can get it at two and a half, definitely take the Badgers. Yeah, that'd be great. Let's move on to another game you might or might not know about out there everybody. Uh, you know, those inside tips that might be out there. We have another Big 10 game which is actually technically for the Big 10 West lead with Wisconsin only having one game under their belt. We have Northwestern at 3 and 0 going to West Lafayette to play Purdue at 2 and 0 in conference. Uh, The Wildcats go on the road as a a two-and-a-half-point favorite, and they've given up only 12 points per game through their first three wins. Definitely, you know, exactly what you'd expect from a Pat Fitzgerald team that's doing well. Secondary already has eight interceptions in three games, but Purdue's been great at protecting the football this year. They're, you know, top ten in the FBS in turnovers. You know, turnover margin. So, and Aiden O'Connell has obviously looked good as well, you know, throwing for more than 325 yards per game. So we kind of have strength versus strength going here. And who do you think comes up aces in this one?
1: Yeah, I think this is a really interesting game. I think these are two quality teams. Like you said, Purdue's got a lot of firepower on offense. Aiden. O'Connell's looked pretty good. David Bell is just an absurdly talented wide receiver. And then especially if they can get Rondell Moore back for, for this game, that just gives them two dynamic options that are as good as any one-two punch in college football this year. So that's going to be a massive challenge for Northwestern defense. But I think you're seeing the big change for the Wildcats is more competent play at quarterback. And I don't think Peyton Ramsey's been – terrific or anything so far this year, but he's been that game manager that they really lacked and the best kind of Pat Fitzgerald Fitzgerald teams have kind of had. And, you know, they really struggled at quarterback last year. It was a huge weakness. So even going from, you know, below average to average or perfectly competent quarterback play is a massive upgrade for Northwestern this year. So I, I think the Wildcats defensively are really, um, Performing well too. Obviously, we were used to a Pat Fitzgerald defense um dominating, so it'll be interesting. I this Purdue defense worries me a bit. They're giving up, you know, just shy of 500 yards per game. I think they were pretty fortunate to beat Iowa in the season opener. You know, they were outgained by about 80 yards in that game, so it could have easily been different. So, you know, honestly, I, I think this is Northwestern's game. I think maybe if we were looking at full crowds. The home field advantage for Purdue could swing them over the top, but not having that. I think Northwestern's just a better team this year, Zach. Um, I really do. I think it's a, a relatively close game. But in the at the end of the day, I think Northwestern takes this one. And since the spread's right out of field goal, I'll go a little bit more than a field goal just to not cop out and you know go even on the spread there. So I'll go 2420
0: Northwestern. 24-20. I think it's going to be low scoring as well. And, you know, I do think Northwestern ultimately prevails. For as good as Purdue's passing game has been, you just have so many threats in that defensive backfield for Northwestern. You know, Brandon Joseph already has three interceptions, and then you have five other guys that have hauled in picks. And... You know, I think Aiden O'Connell, he'll get his yards here and there, but I I think he's also going to have a couple of costly mistakes. That said, I think, you know, Northwestern is exactly that type of team that wins low-scoring games, but I think they come in under the spread. I think they have to bite their nails a bit before getting a late field goal to win 2019. So I think Purdue covers... Um, But Northwestern gets that that backdoor victory outright. And there's no coach in the country that
1: appreciates those ugly, low-scoring, gritty victories than Pat Fitzgerald, by the way. Like, he would be thrilled to watch that for 60 Minutes Saturday.
0: Oh, he'll come away grinning from ear to ear if that's what he gets. And the press conference is going to sound really weird afterward, as it always does. (laughs) move on to the nightcap game, the Pac-12 after dark on Saturday night. We have Cal finally getting to play their season opener after their original opener against Washington was canceled due to COVID-19. The trip to Tempe is still ostensibly on now to play at Arizona State. The Golden Bears come in as a three and a half point underdog in this game, despite the fact that the Sun Devils have that 0-1 mark after the heartbreaker come from a head defeat at the Coliseum to USC last weekend. You know, Jaden Daniels was held to only 134 passing yards and a touchdown, held under 50% completion rate against the Trojans. Did rush for 111 yards, but do you think Vegas might be discounting Cal here?
1: Yeah, it's it's so hard to know this year what a team's going to look like coming out for their first game. (laughs) You know, because we haven't seen them play in so long. But, I mean, we were pretty high on Cal in the preseason. I still think this Golden Bears team has a real shot uh, at being really competitive. Arizona State, you know, Blowing that lead in the fourth quarter was really difficult for them. But, I mean, USC really outplayed Arizona State for most of that game. They finished with, you know, 140, 150-some-odd more yards than Arizona State, uh, but had one extra turnover than the Sun Devils. I really worry about how Arizona State's offensive line is able to hold up in this game. It felt like Daniels was only sacked one time. Uh, But that I think has a lot more to do with how elusive he is in the pocket and how he's able to scramble. He was harassed that entire game. USC was getting constant pressure. He had very rare occasions where he was able to set his feet uh, and make throws with his shoulder square. So I, I worry about how that's going to hold up against what should be a pretty solid Cal defense as well. Uh, But I also think that Daniels is going to have a better game this week. I think he'll be, um, more into it and we'll see one of those kind of patented games for him and you know i think cal's a better team overall than arizona state but just having not seen cal play yet this year i'm gonna go with arizona state but it'll be one of those where i would hedge so i'll say arizona state wins at 23 20 so they win it but don't cover
0: well good thing we end on a very different note because you have uh you know, Cal covering that spread, I have them winning outright. I, I I think Chase Garbers is going to come back this season, and the additional rest and recovery and just being healthy, you know, we saw it with Zach Wilson at BYU. A quarterback getting that extra time off, coming back healthy, it can make a world of difference. And I think Garbers, he's the most experienced quarterback in the Pac-12 North this year and the golden bears return more experience of than any other team in the fbs did on offense. So I, I think they're they have the the ground to make a big, you know, a big splash there. Obviously the defense lost a, a fair amount on that side of the ball in terms of just the guys who got it done. But you know, seeing what Arizona State did, I'm less worried about Jaden Daniels than, as you said, I'm worried about the Sun Devils defense. They gave up 556 yards in that loss to USC, and, you know, they're almost lucky that they didn't get blown out by even more against the Trojans. And, frankly, I think it, it it's going to be another week where disappointment starts to set in because Cal comes out a 41-38 winner in something that, you know, as you said, I think Daniels does have another, you know, solid game, return. you know, in kind of his bounce back. I think he throws for four touchdowns against Cal's defense. That's still kind of finding its feet under him. But I I think Garbers just plays even better. It's a classic Pac-12 after dark game.
1: Oh, man, that would be the most normal thing that's happened all year. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. I hope you're right.
0: Yeah, it just it, it didn't feel right saying something low scoring with that, you know, late night game. You know, maybe it goes like four or five overtimes to get to that three point Cal victory.
1: Yeah, that I it, hope so. From your mouth to the football so- God's ears.
0: It sounds just about right. Well, with that said, we've made our picks, Sean. Any last words you want to throw out there to the. To the crowd listening. No, you know I, it'll be interesting. I guess how
1: many of these games actually get played this weekend because we've already seen so many cancellations and potentially some more. Obviously, we're recording a little bit earlier than Wednesday, so um, you know we've already seen Auburn, Mississippi State, and the SEC get canceled. Alabama, LSU is in jeopardy with LSU's COVID cases. That's possible by Wednesday. When you guys are listening to this, there are several games that are canceled. So it gets hard for Zach and I to um, decide on which games to pick because we kind of have to pick and choose and hope we actually get them in because there's been several weeks where we pick games that, uh, you know, obviously haven't happened yet. So uh, very difficult to figure out, Zach, which games we're going to pick every week just because you never know what's going to happen in terms of COVID cases.
0: I know, just in the time I first looked at the list um, for games to pick, you know, another team that's always, you know, been one of my favorites, Wyoming, had their game against Air Force canceled. So, it, it's it it's a scary year. It's a weird year. It's a year where, you know, as I write in my, you know, another one of my rants at Saturday Blitz, you know, it's a year where we still wonder... 10 weeks and 11 weeks in, in, in a lot of ways, why the hell are we still doing this? And, you know, I, I think we wouldn't be human if we didn't ask that question. And, you know, for as much... Derive joy from watching these games, I get it. You know, please don't be like the fans were in... In South Bend last weekend, if you happen to be at the stadium and your team comes up with an upset, please don't do that. I understand the impulse. I get it. But, you know, as John said, we already have a lot of games that have been postponed this season. We have a lot of games that have already been canceled this season. You know, we're coming up in, you know, sort of a, a scheduling crunch where... Any games that get postponed at this point, they're going to have to make, you know, decisions on which ones get rescheduled and which ones just can't. So let's at least do your part. Be smart about this. Isolate as much as possible. It sucks, but you can still see every one of these games on your television. Um, You know, you can get some pretty great food delivered. You can... You know, you can get on your computer and set up a Zoom session and rib on your buddies. You know, there are ways to get about this. But be smart about this as fans. If we're going to root for college football, root for college football in its entirety. And especially root for the players that, you know, for whatever the mortality rate might be. And I've been hit by enough people about this on Twitter. It's not just about mortality. It, it's not just about recovery or death. It, it's about what will this do long term. And if it only even affects, you know, 1% of players long term, there are 13,000 scholarship players alone that play at the, you know, FBS level. Um... Or no, thirteen thousand. It's ten. It's like ten thousand scholarship athletes, and thirteen thousand when you include in walk-ons and everything. It's a lot of players putting their health at risk, and and it, even if it is a one percent thing, where somebody contracts the virus and has longer term issues, like you know, we've seen some players announce they've had longer term recovery periods than just, you know, the 10 days or even the 21 days of the Big Ten. Even if it is just 1%, that's 130 players that have long-term implications to their health for our entertainment. So, damn it, be as respectful as you can for that and make that risk as low as possible. Not just for those players, but for everybody that loves this sport. For everybody you love, even if they don't love this sport. Just do it. Be 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 a decent human being. And on that little preachy note, we're going to sign off for this week. So, thank you again for tuning into the Saturday Blitz Podcast. Uh, keep coming back every Wednesday for... More of these rants about football and life and the world around us. And we'll keep ranting back at you.